You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction story titled, And You Can Have This Hard to Break, Chapter 2, by today's guest fanfiction writer, Shosh. I'm assuming you guys made it home okay. You didn't seem that drunk, but maybe don't read this until you're alone. Shit, that sounds ominous. I'm just guessing you don't want Raven reading over your shoulder. And I wrote most of this at the bar, so I'm blaming alcohol if I misinterpreted things. And now I'm sending this before I get any more sober and change my mind. This is just getting worse. Here's Bar Bellamy. If you're not talking about me right now, you can stop reading this. If you're talking about Lexa or some person I've never met, that's cool. And I hope it works out for you. I really do. You know what I think about a lot? Back in January, when I still didn't know how to look at you. When you got drunk and told me you wanted me to be okay and happy. Because that's what I want for you too. I wanted it even then. And I was still so fucked up about you that I thought I'd never be able to talk to you like a normal person again. So seriously... If you're talking about someone else, I hope you tell them and they feel the same way, and they're an idiot if they don't. But what I really want is for you to be talking about me, because I'm so fucking in love with you. I don't think I ever stopped being in love with you. I wanted to, because I didn't think I'd ever see you again. Miller told me you asked about me right after I enlisted, and the next time I was home on a Harvard break I tried to find you, but you didn't come back, so I thought you just wanted to say goodbye to me. And you didn't really care. Fuck, this doesn't matter. What matters is that everything you said about how you felt, I feel the same way about you. I missed you so much. And if you aren't interested in anything more than friendship, I'm still so fucking grateful that we can be friends again. But I still love you. And if you figure out in a year, or two years, or three years, that you love me too, I'm going to say yes. I'll always say yes. To the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world, greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. I have an announcement to make before we get started today. On Saturday, April 23rd, I will be in Kansas City, Missouri at Planet Comic Con Kansas City with Sarah from the Talkin' Fanfic Podcast. We will be hosting a panel together called why fan fiction? How transformative works contribute to fandom culture. We are so incredibly excited for this. If you are anywhere near Kansas City, Missouri, come on down and see us on April 23rd. We'll be presenting at 1 p.m. So come on down and see us. Watch out, Planet Comic Con, Kansas City. The Maverick is coming to town. Our special guest fan fiction writer today is Shosh. She has been a member of AO3 since 2010 and has an incredible 741 fics posted. I think that's the highest number we have ever had on the show so far. That is incredible. She has written for a long list of various fandoms, but is most known 
as a fan fiction writer for The 100. She loves video games and cats. Shosh, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited. We like to start from the very beginning here on FFM. So why don't you go ahead and tell us how you first discovered fan fiction? How did that happen? That was actually my brother introduced me to fan fiction when I was in elementary school. This was in the 90s. So Gargoyles was on the Disney afternoon lineup and me and my brother were super into it. And he's four years older than I am. So, you know, I was in for like fourth grade, but he was very mature middle schooler. So he was the one who had sort of gone online. And I think he had already been into like Star Trek fanfic at this point, but he had not had me read that. But once we were into Gargoyles, he was like, yeah, there are, you know, a bunch of stories about more adventures of the Gargoyles. So that was when I started reading fanfic was, yes, Disney. <laughs> oh, my God. So you sound like you were really, really young when that happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like 10. <laughs> Oh my god. Now, were you reading on, like, was it fanfiction.net? No, fanfic.net didn't exist yet. So was this people's personal, like, GeoCity sites and things like that? For Gargoyles, there it's actually still up, I believe. There's a great website called the Gargoyles Fan Fiction Archive. And that was, again, this was 95, 96, when the internet was still sort of fresh and new and weird. So the creator of Gargoyles, Greg Weissman, who's still active, he did I think most recently he was working on the Young Justice TV show that maybe is coming back. I don't know. But he was actually really involved in the fandom. And like, he had so much stuff he wanted to do with Gargoyles that Disney just either didn't want to or could not justify doing because it wasn't super successful. So like, he would talk about like all the spinoffs he wanted to do. And people would actually like write fanfic based on what the creator wanted to happen, but couldn't. So yeah, the Gargoyles Fan Fiction Archive was where I read for that. Later on, I got more into like personal websites and mailing lists. That was for like Babylon 5, Harry Potter, stuff like that. Gargoyles was just a website pretty much that I went to all the time. I love that. And I love that you remember the old archive era from early internet days, because that's what I remember too. I remember all of those really interesting fan fiction archives dedicated to really specific fandoms. Oh, yeah. They were so much fun. Tell me if this is the gargoyle one, but the ones that I went to, not only could you find fan fiction, but you could find all this meta information. Oh, yeah, the yeah. The show like, and the characters and the story. Character shrines, all that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And how fun that gargoyle fan fiction kind of got to fill in the blanks or the spaces in between there a little bit for the show since the creators couldn't do everything that they wanted to do yeah, know, for various reasons. So fan fiction can kind of jump in there and fill in those blanks for us and everything. Do you remember as a little kid what you enjoyed the most about reading fan fiction for Gargoyles? I mean, I've always been very much a romance reader. So what I was like was like, yeah, they get to have actual romance as opposed to on the sh Like they had romance on the show, but you know, what I'd always basically wanted was like, I really like these two characters together and I want more of that than I got. So that was always what sort of drew me in. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when it's not something on the actual like canon show that you're getting enough of. They kissed once at the end of the show. That is not sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> no, one kiss. That's like the slowest slow burn 
ever. I mean, it was only two seasons in the third season that we don't talk about because it was not from the original creator, but (laughs) also that was a human and a gargoyle. So (laughs) I understand that they might have been resistant to doing that much more with that interspecies pairing on the Disney afternoon. (laughs) They didn't want the kids asking questions, I guess, right? Yes. But fanfic answered those questions for me. (laughs) Of course it did. And how fun. I absolutely love that that was the first fandom that you read for. Now, being so young, discovering the reading of fanfiction, were you also young when you wrote your first piece of fanfiction? So I sort of like wrote stuff for me. Like, you know, I had my notebooks full of bad drawings and bad fanfic and I think I was about 12, I first posted in the Babylon 5 fandom, and I wrote way more fic than I ever actually, like, I had like this whole giant universe that I had semi-planned out, and I was always planning to write like a billion things, and I think I posted like two things in that fandom, (laughs) and nothing else ever made it out of my notebooks. But yeah, that was, I did not post very much in Babylon 5, but that was when I started posting when I was about 12. It sounds like you did a lot of world building in that fandom, like headcanon world building? A lot of headcanon. Yeah, like I had, I did, it wasn't good, but I did do it. Well, it doesn't matter if it was good or not. Just the fact that you were doing that, that's so creative and how fun, right? To just have your own world that you can kind of, did you daydream and play a lot in your head in that world? And I crossed it over, I crossed Babylon 5 over with gargoyles, which was important to me. Oh my god, I love that. There were a lot of immortal characters on Gargoyles, so it was fine. They would be still alive in Babylon 5 time. Of course, of course. And Gargoyles in space, how yeah. cool, right? Yeah, what's, what's not to love? <laughs> oh my god, I love, love, love that. That is amazing. And how fun. Were you posting anything that you wrote publicly for people to see? Just, again, like two things I put up on a couple of, like fanfic sites, and that was it. Like, I I wrote maybe 1,500 words total and posted them. Oh. <laughs> but the rest of it, I was like, someday I'm going to write this up and post it. And, like, I really liked Daydream about posting, but I didn't actually manage to post. Yeah, no, and you're not alone there. I think a lot no. of people did that, you know, in the <laughs> 90s and the 2000s. It was kind of I mean, of even things. now, it's way easier to think about how great it's going to be when you post this fic once you finish it than it is to actually finish that fic that you're trying to post. Oh, of course. Of course. It's so much more fun to think about it and daydream about it than to do it. (laughs) I know. I see those funny Tumblr posts all the time about people lamenting. Oh, I have this great idea for fan fiction. Too bad it can't just write itself, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so, so funny. I love that. So... You know, we talked a little bit at the beginning of your intro about how prolific you are, especially with the 100. When you ended up joining AO3, was that kind of the first time that you started posting fan fictions consistently online? Oh, no, no. I was on LiveJournal before and I was on mailing lists for Gundam Wing. So I posted a lot of Gundam Wing fan fiction directly to Yahoo mailing lists and then a lot on live journal that I was too lazy to import over to AO3 because of who I am as a person. And then, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I basically will post to one place. Like I have a fanfiction.net account and I posted there for a while, but I don't have that much on there because I was too lazy to cross post to live journal and fanfic.net. So 
once I stopped using LiveJournal, I was like, okay, I guess I'm just posting to AO3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's kind of like the place, right? Yeah, And I like, you know, it's great. It gives you a lot more information than any of the other sites had. And it's much easier to like find my stuff, which is great. Yeah, I will say that AO3 has been so great for finding very specific types of fan fiction because I, I did not actively participate in LiveJournal myself. I didn't have an account or anything, mm-hmm. but that is where I read all of my fan fiction during the golden era of the LiveJournal <laughs> yeah, yeah. days. And it was so hard to find what I was looking for because I was very specific what I was looking for. And so all I knew how to do was do these like random Google searches and hope <laughs> that something on LiveJournal would just pop up, you know, by magic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like, as a person, I'm just very disorganized and lazy. So, like, in the live journal era, I would post all the time, but I was like, oh, I have to tag this. I have to put it on some sort of master list. Like, people want to be able to find my fan fiction, and I should be responsible for that. And I should, and this is not actually a problem, but I love that AO3, I'm just like, okay, I can make this a series, and AO3 will handle it. This is perfect. And it's just organized, and I don't have to do it. That's exactly the word that came to mind is organized. Like, at least it's easier to organize, right, mm-hmm. on the archives. So, but I do remember LiveJournal fondly. Me too. Yeah, like, LiveJournal had some great stuff, and it's a shame that it's impossible to find again. Oh, I know. I know. And then with all the purges, a lot of the stuff God, I remember reading yeah. is just gone now. It doesn't yeah. even exist. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. It is a shame. So I appreciate that AO3 is here to actually back up old archives and... Does a lot of great archival work, obviously. <laughs> they do. And what a wonderful thing that we can try to save as many works as we can. Because, yeah, they get out there and they just disappear for lots of different reasons. So it's always good to be able to back them up as much as possible. So <laughs> Now, going along with this whole like fan fiction meta thing, I love talking about fan fiction as a whole, as a concept. So what makes it unique and compelling to you personally? So I do think a lot of it is like the communal aspect in the way that like, it's very easy to see how people are in dialogue with each other in fanfic, I think, in a way that like, you see in books and public, you know, like genres, you see what's happening in the romance genre. But like, with fanfic, I love how much it's just so many people working on the same themes and like seeing 10 billion ways to make the same two characters kiss or whatever. And I think that's really cool is that, you know, we're all working from the same starting point and just seeing how different people roll with that. And like, even, you know, what different people like to write based on the same canon and even the same pairing. But that conversation and that diversity and all the things that come out of it is really cool to me in a way that you don't get many other places Like, we're all almost working from the same prompt, but going a billion different directions. I love how you describe it as a conversation. That is beautiful to me because it sounds like you're describing the interactive nature of the fan fiction community where you're right. We all start at this one starting place of canon or at the same prompt. And then it's like this big bang explosion, right? Where the pieces go a thousand different directions out into the universe. And they're all beautiful and just amazing to watch. It's almost like this living thing. Yeah. And, you know, someone will write something and 
Another author will be like, oh, that's awesome. I would really like to write something similar or someone will write something and they're like, man, I hate that. I need to <laughs> push back against this in my own petty, petty way. And both of those are sort of equally charming to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it goes back to that conversation thing that you mentioned, because it is this back and forth conversation that we're having, even if it's not direct, yeah. it's still in the subtext and the context and between the lines. And I love that. One thing that I failed to mention at the beginning of everything is, Shash, I was contacted by one of your fans, your readers, who said that you were just amazing and they wanted <laughs> to see you come on the show. So because of that, I got some insider information about you that I hope you're okay with me bringing <laughs> up here because I just thought it was so amazing. One of the things that your fan told me about you is that you met your wife writing fan fiction, which I think is so incredibly amazing and awesome because look, 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 look. <laughs> I've been single for a year now, right? And it is my secret dream to find a adorable gentleman or a beautiful woman or a lovely non-binary person in fandom to be mine. And <laughs> I have to know how you pulled this off, my friend. Like, yeah, tell yeah, me your secret. How <laughs> did you do this? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure this is something that's easy to replicate, but I can tell you about it. <laughs> so yeah, I did meet my wife through fanfic. She actually started reading my stuff. The fandom I was in before The Hundred was Tamora Pierce's Tortal fandom, where I wrote like one really long fic and then a few small things. And I'm like, okay, I've got what I need out of this. So she had been reading my Tortal fan fiction, and she was already in The Hundred fandom when I got into it. So when I started posting, she was like, oh, hey, that's awesome. This is, you know, that author I like. She actually was talking to one of her fandom friends and she's like, oh my god, you know, this author I really like is posting a fic for the hundred. And her friend was like, okay, cool, I'll just follow her on Tumblr. And my wife was like, you can't just follow her on Tumblr. And she's like, well, I did. And she followed me back. So you could probably do it too. <laughs> and she eventually did. And I did eventually follow her back. And then it was, you know, like six months or so into me posting fics, I was feeling, I think, annoyed and missing live journal friends lock where I could complain about things that frustrated me without, you know, putting it on blast in the way that you have to when you post it on, you know, Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So I was like, I just put up a Tumblr post that was like, I need to vent about something. Does anyone want to like connect on Gchat so I can vent to them? <laughs> and one of the people who responded was my wife and we connected on Gchat and that was in the end of August 2015, I believe, and we have talked every day since then. So once we started talking, we just didn't stop. And so she was at that time in Chicago, and I'm in the Boston area. So, you know, we were separated by hundreds of miles, <laughs> hundreds of miles. So we were chatting and, you know, sort of, she was also at that time a high school math teacher. So she was very busy and stressed all the time because as it turns out, teaching in America is terrible and we need to reform that entire system. So she was sort of like, we were both developing feelings, but she was like, I'm not thinking about this. Nothing is happening. I am ignoring all of this stuff. And I was like, this is normal. <laughs> 
but yeah, you know, we kept talking and developing feelings and it was at the end of the school year in 2016, I want to say, that she made plans to come out and visit me. And once we met in person, we were like, okay, yeah, we're doing this. And so we started dating long distance. I think that was for about a year. This is when I get really bad with dates. <laughs> so yeah, we were long distance. She did another full year of teaching. And then she was like, I think I'm done with teaching. And if I'm done with teaching, I also, I'm looking for a new job. I think I can move. So she she moved to Boston in like the summer of 2017. God, yeah, uh-huh. this is when I get bad with dates. Like I said. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so yeah, we were long distance for about a year. Okay, she she is here and she is in the other room and she just sent me a Discord message that says yes, 2017. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> she confirms. <laughs> Yeah, so she moved here in the summer of 2017, and then we got engaged in 2018 at a 100 con. I got the actor who played Bellamy to help me propose to her. What? Wait, yeah. what? Yeah. What? So. Okay, okay, okay. No, 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 no. Don't gloss over that. <laughs> okay, you have to tell us, like, how that happened. What did this look like? Oh my god. So the first thing was hap- that happened was around Valentine's Day of 2018, I posted a fic that involved a proposal and it was a, you know, an AU where they'd met on Tumblr. So not intentionally, but even as I was writing, I was like, this feels sort of weirdly similar to me and Brett, who is my wife. So I, I wrote it up, I posted it, I was like, probably only I think that. And like, one of the comments was like, honestly, I thought you were going to end this fic by proposing to your wife. <laughs> or to your to your girlfriend, like, and Britt was reading the comments. Is like, honestly, I also thought that, and I was like, I thought about it before that. We had both been sort of like, you know, we don't care about getting married. This isn't something that has ever been a priority for either of us. But after I posted that fic, we sort of had a conversation where she, where she was like, you know, I, I actually I wasn't upset when I thought you were going to propose, and I was like, yeah, I, I was like, I was kind of you know cool with it too, and. So you're like, well, you know, maybe we're actually going to get married sometime. Then I was like, God damn it, I should have just done it then, because then it would be, you know, I had that opportunity, and now I have to come up with something else. And so, coincidentally, there was a very, very sketchy con that had just been, that had been, like, posted about in January that was going to be the 100 only in Boston, but it had, like, the worst website I'd ever seen. It looked like a scam. Oh, like really sketchy. And- yeah, it was so sketchy. And they were like, yeah, we've got we've got the actor who plays Bellamy. We've got the actor who plays Kirk. We've got all these people. They're all coming. And, you know, it's real. And like some of them posted about it on Twitter, I think. So we're like, this looks real. But also, you know, I've been in fandom long enough. I've seen a lot of cons that want to happen and just don't. And they do not actually have a plan. And so you're like, okay, well, you know, it's in Boston. We can afford to, you know, get the basic tickets and buy some autographs. And it very well might not happen, but whatever. We have enough that we can afford to bet on this if they fold and don't give us refunds. So that was coming up in March. And like, against all odds, like everything, it seemed like it was continuing to happen. We're like, okay, so maybe this is real. (laughs) And so... My wife does not like meeting celebrities. Like she likes going to cons and like seeing people and hearing them tell stories, but she doesn't like actually going up for autographs, but she wanted one. So we were like, okay, well, I'll go up and get the autographs and then you can meet me after. So I was like, well, 
if she's not going to come with me anyway, I could just get our autograph and ask him to, you know, sign Brit, will you marry Shosh? Which is, (laughs) and it was so stressful in the days going up to that, because like, I still wasn't sure the con was going to happen. What we were getting signed was one of our friends, uh, Wendy, does a lot of cool fan art. And so we'd had her, you know, send us one of her prints that we wanted to get him to sign. And it just wasn't coming. <laughs> like the mail, was, it was lost in the mail. So I was like, we don't have the print. We don't know if this is happening. Like I went to Staples and got, just printed it myself. And then I got home and Britt was like, you know, I was thinking I might actually want to come up and get Bob's autograph with you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so like, oh, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> I was fully prepared to just be like, listen, I, you know, if you really want to come, you can. But I was planning to do this. But in the end, all I said was like, you know, I really didn't think you were going to want to come up to Bob with me. And she's like, okay, then I won't. And I was like, okay. (laughs) But like, I'm not a great sleeper. But the night before that con was the only time in our entire relationship that I was tossing and turning so much (laughs) that like, I I woke her up. Oh, you were so nervous. I was so stressed. (laughs) So yeah, I I did go and I had him do it. And he was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, trust me, bro. There were some people who knew me behind me in line. They're like, you guys looked so friendly, like you were patting him on the back. And I was like, yeah, I was reassuring him that I wasn't destroying my relationship. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, okay, I'll do it. And then I was so nervous. I like left the line and Britt doesn't really like, you know, public stuff. So I knew that even though I was proposing at this con, I didn't want to do it where like anyone would see her reaction. So like, I was walking away. I was like, come to the hallway with me. And she's like, so worried. She's like, was he mean to her? She's like, I'm gonna go have to go fight him, aren't I? Like, she's so upset. (laughs) She was like, fully prepared to go back and fight Bob Morley. (laughs) Um, Gonna throw hands with Bob. She she was like, if he did anything to hurt you, I swear to God. So I just took her out into the hallway where no one was. And I was like, I showed her and she, you know, it was a proposal. She got very emotional and was very happy. And she said yes. And then we decided we went and actually bought the only thing we'd bought was the Bob autograph. Cause we were like, well, we don't know if this is happening and this is the thing we want most, but we went and bought an autograph from Eliza as well, because it was, you know, Bellark fanfic. So we got her to sign it. And then we also got, you know, paid like whatever it was to get a selfie with Bob with both of us. So, and he was like, Oh, I'm so glad that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> he was nervous. He was sweating bullets there. For yeah, you. I mean, yeah, he was like, I really hope that. <laughs> So I was like, we'd better go back and tell him. <laughs> so we did. So we have, you know, the selfie of him and we have, he hugged us both, Brit says on Discord. He did. He was very happy for us. And we have that, you know, the fan art with their, both their autographs framed on our wall. And yeah, as I mentioned, those two actors then got married a couple years, about a year after we did, out of nowhere with no warning. So when that happened, I was like, dang, everyone involved in that proposal is now married. <laughs> <laughs> that was wild. Oh, my God. That is the most romantic fandom romance I have ever heard <laughs> in my life. That is so, so cool. Oh, thank you so, so much for sharing that with me. I love when I hear stories like that. You know, you were talking about the connective, interactive nature of mm-hmm. fan fiction. And I agree that that's a huge, beautiful part of fandom communities and fan fiction communities. And then to take that, you know, a step further and to find love and romance, it makes my heart so happy. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. 
Oh, that is so, so cool. Well, even though it's been years since all of that happened, obviously, congratulations to you. Yeah. That it worked out. And I love that proposal story. That is the best <laughs> proposal story. <laughs> I was very proud of it. It went very well for us. It went very well. We were happy. It is always kind of weird to like tell non-fandom people about it, where it's like, listen, you're going to need a lot of background and you're going to be real cool about it. (laughs) They're like, what? I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, but whatever. It's fine. (laughs) You just got to judge how much of the background to give people. (laughs) Exactly. No, that is so, so cool. And I love, love, love that. So it sounds like based on this story, you have somewhat of a background, right? Let's say with the 100. I know before the show, we were talking a little bit about the different seasons. <laughs> All my anger. Yes. Yes. There's so many feelings about it, right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and tell us how you first got into the 100. What did you find the most interesting about it? So I've been hearing about it I started watching in 2015, which was just after the second season wrapped. And the second season was like when they started getting a lot of like good press from actual media stuff. They're like, oh, this show on the CW might actually be good. And, you know, I'd been hearing about it also in fandom places. That was when Clark and Lexa was the big pairing, which I was curious about because, you know, I'm bi, so I like female female pairings. And I heard that Clark was canonically bisexual, which I'm always into. And so I was actually just, it was a sick day. I was sick, homesick from work and I was looking at Netflix. I'm like, I can put this on. I've been hearing about this. So yeah, basically just on a whim, I put The 100 on Netflix and they had the full first two seasons on there and I, you know, binged it and was like, oh, I'm I'm into that. And I, again, I'd sort of expected to be into Klexa because that was what I'd heard more about, but I was like, I'm actually more into Belby and Clark. So I went on to, you know, AO3, as you do after you finish something and you want to read about characters kissing. And (laughs) I was like, oh, this, I definitely was like, oh, this fandom seems like a good fit for me. There are a lot of modern AUs named with Taylor Swift lyrics. I'm into that. Nice, nice. (laughs) That is my vibe. And so, you know, I read a bunch of fan fiction in the Bellark tag. I watched the show again. I made my best friend Steve watch the show and... He's a doctor, so he was just, like, sending me all these messages about how everything on the show was medically impossible and awful, which is true. <laughs> like, they don't know anything about bone marrow, and I'm like, you're oh so right. God. You're going to keep watching. The guy from Empire Records is going to show up. He's like, this is a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will, I will shout out Steve here, who is probably listening to this if I tell him about it. When Britt and I were still long distance, that was the third season, so... Steve would come over every week and watch the show with me, even though he didn't care that much, and so that he could support me through my complicated feelings. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good friend right there. That's true friendship. Actually, I'm going to go on a side note here, because one of the actual foundational things in my and Britt's relationship happened during the third season when Steve came over to watch, I think it was the fourth episode of the season with me. And I had bought him a present at a con I'd been to recently, and I was very excited to give it to him. So I brought it outside when I went to let him in, and I locked us out of my apartment. (laughs) And so I didn't have my phone or my keys, so we had to take the train back to... My brother worked at a game store in Cambridge at the time, so we took the train 
to where my brother was so that we could get his keys. And the whole time I had just, you know, disappeared without any warning from my chat with Britt, where we'd been talking about the episode as it happened. And she was kind of drunk and freaking out that I had like died. Oh, <laughs> she no. was like, and it was definitely one of those things for her where I was like, where she was like, this is not necessarily a proportionate platonic response to this situation. <laughs> She's like, there are feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, that was one of those things. Too. She was like, I'm just gonna ignore that and deal with it later. <laughs> but and then I did write her a Bell Arc fanfic where the same thing happened to them as an apology. And <laughs> that is so great. Yeah, I was just about to say, that almost sounds like a fan fiction trope yeah, that yeah. you're describing there in real life. That is hilarious. Yeah, it was, it was, it's a night we remember fondly, even though it was very stressful for Brit at the time and stressful for me because I was locked out and riding the train in my pajamas, <laughs> but whatever. Well, you know, everybody has to have that one classic locked myself out of my home stories. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so I got that one. So <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I love that. You know, we were talking before the show about the different seasons that mm. you have watched for the 100. And it prompted this question in my brain as we were talking about that. I'm wondering, like, because I think you said that you're more familiar with, I think it was seasons one through three, right? Yeah, seasons one and two mostly, and then parts of season three. So when you're writing, do you feel like you're basing your inspiration from a specific season? Would it be like first season, second, third? A lot of it depends. Like, you know, mostly I write AUs, which means that I've, I'm have i sort of writing my idea of the characters in whatever situation I'm doing. So like, I draw most from probably seasons one and two, but also from like an idealized version of the show where that doesn't exist, where they get to do what I want them to do and not have to deal with all this stupid plot stuff that the writers keep coming up with. But yeah, like, I watched season six once, I don't really remember much about it. So like, I don't draw very much from there and i didn't finish season seven because bellamy was barely in it and then he died so like i was like i don't care about this (laughs) but a lot of it depends on like you know when they did something i really liked in season five i would draw a lot you know i drew more from that like that season five was from season four to five was when i probably wrote the most canon fic i think it was actually like okay this is an interesting setup and i'm interested and i'm curious about how to do that. But a lot of the time what I'll do is when I'm writing an AU, I'll sort of be doing something. I'll be like, okay, well, I want to adapt sort of this canon thing to make it into a modern thing. And how could I do that or something like that? I'll do that from basically all the seasons. But the characters, I think, I just reject anything that I don't like that happens in canon. So if I'm like, okay, I don't like this characterization choice, I'm just gonna ignore it. That's also a beautiful thing about fanfic. The writers were wrong to do this and I don't have to deal with it. Yes, yes. I had one writer describe it like this. Ding dong, you're wrong. And just like you get go on with writing your fanfiction and your characters the way yeah. you feel they should be portrayed. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't need to deal with this. It was a stupid decision you shouldn't have made and I refused to, like... At the end of season three, that was when they introduced, like, the world is going to end again because nuclear reactors are melting down. And, like, every canon fic I wrote from, like, the end of season three to halfway through season four had a note at the beginning. And it's like, I'm just assuming that this nuclear reactor thing resolved itself off screen because I think it's dumb and I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, we will not be acknowledging that part of canon. (laughs) This isn't real. This is stupid. (laughs) 
No, I love that. Because like in fan fiction, we do have the freedom to do that. We do. And if yeah. other people don't like it, don't like, don't read, right? Like- yeah, I, like I try to put a note at the beginning. It's like, yep, I don't care about this. If, if you do, you shouldn't read this, but whatever. I don't, I don't I care. I love that, though. That's one of my favorite things that fan fiction writers do is you can just chuck shit out the window yep. when you don't yep. like it and don't want to deal with it. And I am here for that 100%. So <laughs> I love, love that. I was wondering, when you're writing for these two characters, like, what is it about the relationship dynamics that makes them so interesting for you to write for? I mean, it's always hard to sort of like pin that down. I feel like I'm one of those people who just gets like hyper fixated on a pairing and then like, that's what I want to write. And I've never figured out like how that happens in my brain. Like, you know, I took a hiatus from writing the 100 fanfic for about, you know, mid 2020. And I then I started writing again at the beginning of this year and like during that time I was like I wish I was in another fandom and like I just can't make that happen so it's hard for me to explain what happens in my brain that makes me want to write millions of words of fan fiction about people like it just does one thing I do like and you know we talked about this a little earlier is you know like you said they do not start out on good footing at all they are sort of in an antagonistic relationship for I'd say about the first half of season one, and then they start learning to work together. And then by, you know, season two and well, mostly season two and sort of intermittently throughout the show as the writing gets worse and worse, they're, you know, very close and sort of each other's confidants and best friends. And I think to me, I like that, like, that makes it easy for me to write them in a lot of different situations where I'm like, you know, if I want them to start off at odds, I know how that works. If I want them to have been childhood friends, I'm like, yeah, you know, I can see that if circumstances didn't make them start off on the wrong foot, like they didn't can. And I think I can see them being friends. I can see them being enemies. I can see them having a one night stand and then, you know, figuring stuff out from there. So I like the actors. I like their chemistry. I'm attracted to both of them, which is important for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's just sort of like, I can't explain it. I'm just like, oh, I have latched onto these two for some reason. Yeah. Well, and you know, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's more of an intuitive, emotional connection that you can't really explain intellectually. You just know that it's there. Sometimes we get super obsessive over the. I totally have my hearings too from lots of different fandoms where I'm like so obsessed with the two of them together. That's the beautiful thing about fandom is like we can be in love with these characters for so many different reasons. And sometimes it doesn't make any logical sense or intellectual sense. And it doesn't make sense that it's these characters and not some others, but it just is. It just happens. Yes, it just is. And you know, as you're talking and as you're telling me that beautiful story about you and your wife, like, things are starting to make a little more sense to me because at least in the stories that I read, you do a beautiful job of writing romance, right? And you have such a romantic story yourself with you and your (laughs) wife. And so I'm just thinking like, man, she's really good at the romance stuff. That's what I like. (laughs) Yes. It's like your special niche. You just write romance so, so well. I loved these stories that I read for today's show. And of course, we'll be talking about those here in a bit. But when your fan contacted me again about bringing you on the show, in addition to telling me about you and your wife, they also mentioned to me that, in their opinion at least, <laughs> you're <laughs> responsible for convincing half the 100 fandom 
that Bellamy Blake is bisexual, <laughs> which I love. I love that. What can you tell me about that? Because I know nothing about this. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like that's one of those things where it is like sort of the fandom conversation that happens where like one person gets a headcanon and starts writing it and someone else is like reads the fic and is like, oh, hey, I like that headcanon. I'm going to use that. And so I would not say I set out to do this. I just write everyone is bisexual all the time because I'm like, I'm bisexual. Everyone else should be bisexual. This is my calling is just to write everyone bisexual constantly. The two things that I sort of think of as my Bellamy Blake brand are, I guess, the number one thing is that I always have him wearing glasses. And I've stated that if I do not specifically say he's wearing glasses in a fic, you should still assume he is. Just like 100% of the time. If it, if it's not mentioned. <laughs> yeah, Bob Marley wears glasses a lot, which I really appreciate. Thanks, bro. You're you're helping me out here. He was wearing glasses when I proposed to my wife. In fact, I was very happy about that. Oh, yes. Yes. Way to take one for the team there, Bob. You couldn't have known, but I appreciated it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, to me, if you ask me what my number one contribution is, it was that I was aggressively about Bellamy Blake and glasses. But I was also not the only one like that was popular. But yeah. I did start writing him as bisexual probably about a year into the fandom. I wrote one story. I thought about having that as the one we talked about here, actually, which was a sort of soulmate AU universe. It was one of those soulmate AUs where, like, when you turn, I think I made it 18, your soulmate's name appears on your body. And I was like, that one's kind of funny for them because they both have the most gender neutral names of all time. (laughs) (laughs) They would see those names appear and be like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, like when I was watching the show, my my brother was like, you could tell me either of those characters with their first name was any one of those four names and I would just believe you. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you cannot tell which one of them is Bellamy and which one is Clark because neither of those are names that have any particular association with them. So I was like, you know, I want to write a fic where Bellamy assumes that his soulmate Clark Griffin is a guy and sort of works through what he feels about that. And obviously how he feels about that is I'm cool with being bisexual. (laughs) But that was the first fic where I really explored it. And sort of once I'd written that and sort of had him go through the process of becoming bisexual, it sort of, I had also worked through it. And I was like, okay, that's now a part of how I write Bellamy is he has thought about it and is bisexual. And so I just put that into my fix. Not, you know, not all the time, but I just like talking about bisexuality. So I do it a lot. (laughs) And then the headcanon spread like wildfire. (laughs) Well, one thing about writing a whole lot of fixes that it means it's a lot easier for you to get your ideas out there because it's harder to avoid you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say with the numbers that you've exactly like I, <laughs> I can just push that narrative if I want to. <laughs> no, I think that that's so awesome. And I love oh my gosh, as you were describing that AU, I love the concept of doing the soulmate AU as context for Bellamy exploring bisexuality that way. In that context, I think that's so beautiful. I love, love, love that. So that is super cool that you had some contributions there to the fandom (laughs) headcanon as a whole. I think that's just so, so cool. You know, like I said, you write beautiful romance pieces. And of course, 
I feel like that's kind of the heart and the core of these three fan fictions that we're going to be talking about today. Well, I guess the first two are, well, the the last one is more of a series, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. The first one that I read from you was, and you can have this heart to break, which I understand is a persuasion AU. So tell us more about that. What inspired this fic? Uh, so this was a lot of fics that inspiration is generally someone sent me an ask on Tumblr and I'm like, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> so I did get an ask on Tumblr for this and I had actually not read Persuasion. Like most of the time when I get into Austin novels, it's because my parents had shown me one of the movies of them first and I was like, okay, I'm into that. So, you know, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Emma, we watched all of those as a family. There just wasn't one for persuasion, I guess, that either my parents liked or rented or whatever. So I'd heard a lot about it and I knew that it was a lot of people's favorite, but I hadn't actually experienced it. So I got this ask that was like, I think this would be a good fic. You should write this. And I was like, I guess I'll go read the Wikipedia article, which is what I usually do when people ask me to write fics based on stuff I haven't seen. And sometimes I will write fics based entirely on a Wikipedia article and just live with it. <laughs> yeah, cliff notes. There's something to be said for that. <laughs> usually that's when like I would do various things where like, you know, I write stuff for charity or I would do, I will fill every prompt that you send me for this or whatever. And so if people send me prompts for stuff I wasn't familiar with, I'm just like, okay, Wikipedia, and we're just gonna riff on that. But <laughs> I decided I did actually want to experience Persuasion because I liked the sound of it and because I was like, well, I really should read this, actually, or listen to it on audiobook, which is how I read most things these days. So yeah, I got it on, I got the audiobook, I read the Wikipedia article, and I was like, okay, this could be cool. And I decided, I really do love modern Jane Austen retellings, like Clueless is one of the best movies of all time. I don't care. <laughs> um, and even something like, you know, Bridget Jones Diary, which is riffing on Pride and Prejudice. I really like doing that. So I knew that I wanted to write a modern AU both so that I didn't have to care about historical accuracy and because I thought it would be cool. So my friend Erin is an English professor and she's also into Bell Arc. So we sort of talked about it a bit, bunch on Gchat and like I would send her ideas and be like, okay, well, here's this in the novel, this is how, you know, I could adapt it for a modern AU, like, these are the sort of important points that I want to hit, these are the things that I don't care about as much, and that's sort of how I always do AUs of, like, this kind, where I'm, like, riffing on, especially a canon I'm familiar with, where I'm like, okay, this is the stuff that I think is important to the work, this is the stuff that I think is important to this pairing in particular, and this is the stuff that I don't care about and we're going to replace with other stuff. <laughs> I love that so much. You know, I could tell by reading all of these fictions that they felt very carefully planned to me. Oh, they're not. And maybe it's just that you just have this really natural talent for this. But like, <laughs> as I was reading each scene to me, it had a purpose. It showed exactly what you were trying to portray and the, the emotion that you were trying to portray and just the right amount of information that we needed to kind of, you know, get along with the story and stuff. And I thought, oh my God, like this is so <laughs> tight and just good. I loved it. The fact that they start out as really young, you know, in this story, yeah. I think Clark is like, what, 17? Yes. Yeah. yeah she's 17 to 18. Well, like, you know, that was something that's 
completely added, but I thought that especially, you know, coming in, I wanted to have the first half of the romance, which isn't in the Persuasion novel and, you know, probably shouldn't be. I'm not, <laughs> but I really wanted to explore. It seemed important when adapting it for a different pairing and for modern to actually see how things went wrong and to feel it. So I wanted them to be young. I wanted them to be going through life changes. And I wanted us to actually see, like, you're not going to break up in a modern AU for the same reason they do in Persuasion, which is like, you know, money and family stuff. And <laughs> right, which, right. You, you know, you can break up over that in a modern AU, but I don't, it's not going to happen in the same way. So answering the question of, okay, like, you know, they're, she's going to college, he's not, they're in different states, it's just hard. I needed to know what that happened there. And I realized that the audience also needed to see it. Yeah, well, it was perfect because I remember being young. I remember being that <laughs> age. And at that age, you're just so transient with your life, you know, because like you said, you're going to college or you're starting a new job or a lot of us are moving to different states and getting our lives started. And it's just a very transient part of growing up as a young adult. And I feel like a lot of us in real life have had those situations where we did end up ending relationships in that time frame of our lives just because the timing was wrong mm -hmm. or we didn't know how to navigate certain issues very well because we were just so young and inexperienced and didn't have the maturity yet. So I love how in this story they end up reconnecting much later when they're older and more stable and have been able to grow up and mature a little bit and have that life experience under their belt and then able to come together as new, improved people, I guess you could say, you know? As I said, I talked to my friend Erin about this and like one of the things that she pinpointed as the joy of Austin's persuasion is that it is about you had this terrible breakup and you meet up with this person again and you're telling yourself that they cannot be as good as you remembered. And then it turns out they're better and it's agonizing because you think they don't want to get back together with you. But like, right. that's what's great about persuasion and, you know, about that sort of persuasion mold is that it's like, oh, I'm seeing you again and you're hotter than you used to be. And I want to hate you, but I can't because you're still awesome. And I still like all the things I liked about you before, but you've actually like grown up and become an even cooler person. And it's the worst. Yes. And I loved how you put that tension there in the story. <laughs> like when they come back together as older adults, I loved that tension that you built up to because it's not one of those things where they just fall back together and everything's perfect. There's so much tension and like <laughs> angst. And Which is not my usual thing, I'll admit. <laughs> like, I'm usually like, I'm too lazy for this, but sometimes it's nice to do a bunch of angst. Oh, yeah. I loved it though, because, you know, it really made that letter scene pay off, right? That was honestly the thing that I was most <laughs> worried about because I posted it as two parts, which is also rare for me. I usually just do, you know, one shots most of the time, but I really felt like I needed a hard stop between the two time periods. But like half the comments on the first part were like, I can't wait to see how you deal with that fucking letter scene, which is how everyone responds, like refers to it. Like, that is the official name is that fucking letter scene in Persuasion. Yeah. I was like, okay, but he can't write a letter. Like, people, like, you can't actually have someone write down a letter in a bar and hand it to someone. So email works. But like, that was what I was nervous about. I was like, the letter scene is the persuasion scene. And if you're adapting persuasion, you have to somehow deal with it. But it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> 
It is, but I felt like you did it so well. Well, thank you. (laughs) Her emotional state when she's all alone reading this email, like I almost screamed out loud because I was so excited (laughs) for her the way I'm sure that she was just freaking out about it. You know, like all those butterflies. I mean, that's how it should be. Yeah, that's what you got to get with the the fucking letter scene. (laughs) Yes, it was just so perfect. Like the emotional payoff in that scene was just amazing. And I was like, oh my God, this is so great. (laughs) I loved it. So that is absolutely a beautiful fic. Like you said, two parts. I can totally see why people just loved that. (laughs) Yeah, my wife really wanted me to talk about that one. That was her request. (laughs) Oh, good, good. Well, I'm so glad that she brought that one up because I absolutely adored it. It was so, so good. And then from there, I read And Hides Her Somewhere in Herself, Safe from Harm which is another AU story, but this one's from Octavia's point of view. Yep. What themes were you exploring with this one? And I also wanted to know, like, what was your favorite part about writing this particular fic? So this fic was inspired somewhat indirectly by To Kill a Mockingbird, actually, (laughs) because I just like that book a lot. And I was listening to it at work because I listened to a lot of books on tape at work. And one of the things that I like, or I was thinking about in that book is, you know, the child perspective of an adult and like an adult's relationships. And so for that, I really do love Octavia's Bellamy's sister for just some background there. And they have a super weird relationship in canon. And one of the challenges of writing AUs is trying to figure out how to give them a super weird relationship when... Canonically, Bellamy is the only person in the show who has a sibling because it's a post-apocalyptic show. They were born on a space station and it was illegal for anyone to have more than one child. So they're the only siblings and Octavia's existence was kept a secret for the first 16 years of her life or so. And then Bellamy broke her out to take her to a masquerade party because he thought it would be okay. But of course, they got caught and they're Mom got killed and Octavia got thrown in jail because, you know, that's what happens on the show. Yeah, because she's not even supposed to exist. Yeah, she's not supposed to exist, so they just put her in jail. (laughs) And so that's, again, something that can be difficult to figure out how to cover in a modern AU where none of that would ever happen. (laughs) But their relationship where, you know, neither of their dads was in the picture, Bellamy's both responsible for hiding her but also you know it seems like their mom isn't around a lot and he has to take care of her so figuring out how to make that something that translates to a modern au is weird and interesting so i like working with that so i came at this fic from okay well we want to have an octavia perspective of bellamy having to take care of her and something where they're estranged because you know I wanted to, it to be about them figuring out how to be a family after their mom dies, which is sort of what happens in canon, but not quite. So I don't really think about it in terms of like themes I'm exploring. Generally, when I write fanfic, I'm just like, well, this would be cool. <laughs> but I really do like writing about sort of found and chosen families. So, you know, figuring out here's Bellamy, who in this fic has been away from his sister for something like 10 years. I don't remember exactly. I could have reread this to prepare, but I didn't. And after their mom dies, he gets custody of her and hasn't seen her in a long time. Although he was trying, 
but you know, she's coming into his life. She's resentful that he was out of her life. He has, you know, his friends and his job and trying to figure out both of them, how they work as this new family unit was really what I was interested in, in that fic. Yeah. And that's the theme that I felt like was most prominent in this fic, which I love. I love (laughs) stories that are about family relationships because family relationships can be so incredibly complicated. You know, there's a lot of back history with it and just a lot of feelings that sometimes we don't even understand ourselves Mm -hmm. as we're feeling them and experiencing them. So especially from Octavia's point of view, where she's still technically a child here. Yeah, she's like 14. So like, that's a bad age to be doing anything, let alone having major trauma and (laughs) uprooting your whole life. It is because your brain is still developing in that awkward space between like still a kid and becoming an adult. So it's weird in between (laughs) space. And you're just not mature enough to really understand all adult complicated gray area concepts. So it was so interesting to watch her navigate these really complicated feelings that she's having. And I just really appreciated the care that you took to make sure that you gave her space to express those and not necessarily resolve all of them, but just express them and acknowledge that they were there and be like, yeah, this is complicated. I love how she really wanted at first to be angry. At her brother, you know, <laughs> like yeah, she yeah. really wanted to be angry. <laughs> and then she realizes, you know, at a certain point, hey, this wasn't his fault. You mm-hmm. know, he did the best that he could. I did the best that I could. And we just had some really shitty circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of the time I would say that's something that I like to explore in my fic is that I like to generally try to write stories about people who are trying their best. That means that I I don't necessarily think I'm always the best at drama or angst, not because just in general, that's not what I'm interested in focusing on, but you can get a lot of drama out of people doing their best in bad circumstances, like you said. So like, I like to take the characters charitably and then Sometimes they're in situations where that's tough, and sometimes they're in situations where that's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but there's stuff to explore either way. And I really appreciated that emotional exploration here, especially from Octavia's point of view. I wasn't as familiar with her character going into all of this, so I was just like, oh, this is so cool that it's from her POV. (laughs) Yeah, Octavia is one of those characters that I really... I mean, I guess all the characters I really liked in the first and second seasons, and then they went various places. But Octavia, I thought, had a really fascinating arc in the first couple seasons as she was sort of becoming an independent person who actually got to live on her own. And then they never really figured out what to do with her from there, in my opinion. But I still really like her and find her very fascinating in that sense. So Yeah, well, I'm glad that you were able to explore her because you know, if they didn't end up doing much with her in the actual show. Oh, she became a cannibal. <laughs> That's too bad to me because growing up the way that she did, hidden away from yeah. society, that would do things to you, you know? Yeah. yeah, I feel like I thought she and Bellamy especially had a really great sort of arc is coming to understand each other with the first two seasons. And then it felt like the writers just didn't actually know what to do with them once they'd resolved that, so they kept having the same argument over and over again. Which happens a lot in TV shows, but like it was a real shame that they didn't figure out how to actually do more with 
especially her in general, but also like her and Bellamy's relationship as actual sort of people who are learning to function with each other. Yeah, it seems like there was a lot more there to explore. That is true of basically every character. <laughs> of course. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> well, thank God for fan fiction then, because fan fiction lets us do that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, I loved, 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 loved the series that you sent me, because after I read the first two, I went and I read your series. The series is called Todo Lo Que Me Pasa. Yes. Which, oh my God. Gorgeous. I ended up going in and reading your translation of Pablo Naruto's poem because you took a lot of the titles for these stories from the work of Pablo Naruto, which, oh my God, heartbreaking and gorgeous. And I loved your translation a lot. So I was kind of wondering, like going into the discussion of this one, did Pablo's work inspire or influence parts of the story itself? Sadly, no, I can't say it did, unfortunately. Mostly, I honestly just hate titles so much. I'm awful at them. So whenever I'm writing a series, I'll figure out like the title of the first one and then be like, okay, so all the rest of the parts can just be like named after the same thing that I used the first for the first part. And then I don't have to come up with more titles. That is, it's a gorgeous poem. Like it's, I think it was the first nerd I ever read. My dad was reading it and he like had me come over and read it with him and we translated it together and like I feel like Naruto would not necessarily be happy that I'd taken this heartbreaking poem about the Spanish Civil War and used it as the titles for fan fiction but I've just accepted that <laughs> it's okay it's a gorgeous poem and this made more people read it probably so like I think he's coming out ahead but no I, I wouldn't say that I <laughs> it was not particularly inspiration so much as I was just like, okay, this can be the title for the first part, and then I can use it for the rest of the series too. Done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I loved all of it. Even though you did end up translating the entire poem into English, the titles that you're using are in the original Spanish, which mm -hmm. is gorgeous. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. I used to feel bad about that. I also... I was a Japanese major in college, so I listened to a lot of Japanese music, and I used to like feel bad for leaving. Usually when I have to name a fic, I will just put my music on shuffle and go until I find something that I think I can use. And I used to feel really bad about like using Japanese titles and not translating them, but it doesn't feel right to me to use the translation for a title because it's just words that I put together there instead of like a quote. If that makes sense, like, it's not clear that that's where the title came from. So I'll usually leave the title in the original language and then translate it. Yeah, no, I loved that you did that. I loved it because, of course, things do get lost in translation as they go from, you know, one language to another and everything. So the fact that it was kept in the original Spanish was just gorgeous. And you know what? I totally agree with your point about Pablo Neruda, even though he may be rolling in his grave just a little bit over this. A lot of people probably got exposure to his poem because you did that, because you linked back to it. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, like, he's gone for quite some time now, but his work <laughs> is living on. In fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're continuing to expose people to his beautiful work. For whatever that's worth, I'm hoping that, Pablo, wherever you are, that you appreciate that aspect at least. So, Yeah, I'm sure. He's fine. He's fine. He's got a great <laughs> legacy. He's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was just, it was a lot of fun to see 
all of that. And then it was a lot of fun to dive into this series. I had a lot of multiverse vibes when I was reading this. And to explain that, I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about what this series is about so people understand that reference, because I was getting like the multiverse vibe from this for sure. Yeah, so this one was one I felt sort of bad not including any canon fix. I just don't write a lot of canon verse. Like I've written some, but for the most part, and especially my well-known fix are mostly AUs. So I was like, well, I should try to get something that at least references canon. So this is a three-part series where various characters from the hundred, first Clark, then Bellamy, then season five character, well, season four and five character Maddie, who is a child Clark adopts for apocalypse-related reasons. <laughs> Basically, they are transported through unclear and never explained means to a modern from canon to a modern AU or vice versa. So basically the conceit is that the Clark from the beginning of season five wakes up in an apartment that she shares with her roommate Bellamy in 2018 or whenever it was that I wrote this. I think it was 2018. Yeah. I think it was. I have this one open. I could check. Yes, it was 2018. And she sort of processes that surreal trauma. <laughs> and I think I originally was planning to write this as sort of more of a funny crack fic where it's like, well, this would be super weird and modern AU Bellamy would probably be weirdly attracted to feral survivalist Clark. But canon was pretty grim at that point, as it is at 90% of points in canon. So it ended up being a lot more about how traumatized Clark was at the beginning of season five, and her sort of getting a break from all that trauma by getting to hang out in the real world, which was and probably still is better than what was going on in the 100 canon at that time. Yeah. <laughs> and once I wrote that, I was like, well, I should write one for Bellamy. And then to finish it off, I had Maddie, who is sort of the third character. The, the only other character at that time in canon was talk was with Clark. And the final part is actually the Maddie from the modern AU going into the 100 season five canon, which would be real traumatic for her, but I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she's fine too. She seemed all right at the end. Yeah, yeah. It was just a day. So like she gets over <laughs> You know, even though you have these traumatized characters kind of switching back and forth between multiverses here. I loved that you still included the romantic elements oh, yeah. here. <laughs> That's all I'm ever doing. <laughs> yeah, because you have like the Bellamy and the Clark from their times sort of trying to influence the relationship going on between their counterparts in the multiverse. Mm -hmm. And it was just this beautiful thing where no matter what universe you find them in in the story, they gravitate towards each other and they find each other. Which is sort of like the point of fanfic in a way is it's like the multiverse where in every possible version of it, they end up together. And Yes, yes. <laughs> that hopelessly romantic, I will find you in any universe that you are. Mm -hmm. Which I just thought was so beautiful and so hopeful. So it was really, really cool to see those elements in this story. I loved it. And you know what? I really loved that in your multiverse theory here, you know, in this mm -hmm. series, it's only one day that they get in the alternate universe. It's not like I was gone for months and months and years. 
it's the one day that they get to just rest and reset and experience a different world before they go to sleep at night and then they wake up back in their own universe. And <laughs> the dream is over, but it almost reminded me a little bit of Midsummer's Night Dream, just a bit. Right? I can see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just that one moment in time where they get to experience something else and uh, have an interesting time doing it. And then they go back to the crushing trauma. <laughs> yes, crushing trauma, but so creative. I don't think I've ever read any other multiverse fan fictions and all of the other fandoms that I happen to be in. So this was a treat for me because <laughs> I was like, this is so creative and interesting. I love, love, love what you did there. So we were talking earlier in the interview here. You mentioned your writing process just a little bit when I asked you that planning question. So it kind of sounds like you're not so much a planner. <laughs> when not you write generally. Not generally. So what does your writing process look like for your fictions? So part of it is that I'm not like a formal planner and that like I never I don't do outlines. I've tried to various times in my life and I'm just not good at them. They don't work for me. But a lot of the times when I'm not like writing or actively writing or able to write, I will be thinking about, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where the story needs to go. These are the things. Sometimes a lot of the time when I'm writing a story, I'll like have a scene that I want to do or like my starting off point will be if it's not like I'm doing an AU version of Persuasion, for example, it'll be like, OK, I want to write a story where this happens. And then it's filling in. OK, well, where do we start to get there? What is the story actually about? Like, you know, what's surrounding this? What's the context? And so I think a lot about that. But again, in a pretty informal way. And then I honestly just. I write, <laughs> I just write things down chronologically, pretty much, is my process. <laughs> I always write in order, and I always just go. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense, though. I can see the chronological order of the story, because like I said, in all of these stories, I felt like the scenes that you put in are very chronological, and just, I don't even know how to explain it, just to, all I can say about it is I felt like every scene, every dialogue, every part in all of these stories seemed like deliberate and that they were supposed to be there. And it was just a joy. It was a joy to read. So that's interesting that you put them in there chronologically. I can absolutely see that. In general, I'm kind of like an impatient writer. For a long time, like I struggled to write anything over about 10,000 words because like I was very much, okay, I want this to happen, this to happen, this to happen. That's the story. That's it. Whereas, like, I'll read other people's pictures. I'm like, man, there's so much texture and other stuff in this story. And, like, I really like that. I respect it. I think it gives a lot of depth. But that's sort of a struggle for me is like adding scenes that do things other than just immediately progress from point A to point B to point C. And I've gotten better with it, or I've gotten better at sort of like making the scenes not quite as laser focused as I've written more. And like, I've gotten much better at writing longer things but like the first time i write some, wrote something over like five thousand words i was like this is a huge accomplishment for me <laughs> or fifty thousand words but also five thousand at some point in my life that must have felt so cool though to get to that point where you could do that mm -hmm. and now I, now i feel like i'm better at sort of guessing when i start a story i'm like okay this one's gonna be a quick like i recently after i came back to the hundred fandom i wrote like a quick fic that was about 5,000 words. And someone commented, it was like, oh, yeah, that's a classic Shosh 5,000 word fic. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. 
that's sort of still my sweet spot, I feel like. It's 5,000 words, kind of a quick, fluffy scenario, and you you do it and it's done. And But I've also gotten better at writing sort of longer things with sometimes more of a plot, but just sometimes more of an arc to them. Yeah. Well, with writing so many different fan fictions, you're so prolific. I'm sure that it's been neat to kind of see your progression from where you started versus... I definitely got to see a lot of progression as I, in this fandom. And again, part of what I like about AO3 is that it does make it a lot easier for me to see that, like using statistics page and stuff like that. I can really track stuff like that, which is super cool. Yes, yes, absolutely. That is so, so cool. I love that. Well, we are getting to the end here of our time today. Do you have any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to shout out on the show? I feel kind of bad because like most of the people I knew in the fandom aren't writing for it anymore because it's been so long. But I've already shouted out my friend Steve, who doesn't write fanfic, but does like to text me with like long, weird prompts that only he and I care about. Sometimes only he cares about them, but he likes to do that. And of course, I'll shout out my wife, who I already shouted out. My friend Erin, who I think is writing for maybe BTS now, but also just a general shout out for her and Hawthorne Whisperer, who's in Dramione fandom now. Yeah, then some people who aren't really active anymore. My friend Jen, who actually she is writing Check Please these days, and Kaka and KMG, just, you know, various people. <laughs> but yeah, not a lot of active fan writing friends in my fandom these days, which is how it goes. <laughs> That's okay. It just means it falls to you, Shosh. <laughs> it does. I am doing my thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Shout out to all of you for being awesome. That is so, so cool. We'll make sure to get as much of the links up on the show notes as possible. So if people want to check out the stories from those folks, they can do that. Shosh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for being here today. Check out her stories on AO3. Give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. <laughs>